500 years ago, he washed ashore the sole survivor of a shipwreck. And upon the skull of the man who killed his dad, he said, I'm mad, I must eradicate piracy, injustice and cruelty. And all my sons will follow me, so evildoers will believe that this man cannot die. The Phantom, the ghost who walks, the enemies beware. The phantom's always there, but you won't find the phantom. He finds you. G'day, everyone. For those who came in late, you're listening to Expand, the Phantom Podcast. Uh, my name is Dan Fraser, and for the next two or three minutes, I'm flying solo as I provide the introduction to this episode. Um, and then we'll be joined by our good friend, Billy Zane, uh, which is nice for a couple of minutes. Uh, what we've decided to do is include in the, uh, I guess, the 132B, episode 132B for Brisbane. We uh, made that joke earlier in the Adelaide podcast. Um we there's so much I guess recorded that we're not going to put it all up in a uh, four-hour podcast, um, and we're going to save some to release over the over the um, Christmas holiday period, including uh, which I guess is a surprise to me that we've decided this, but I, it was my suggestion, so I guess uh, um, I guess well, look, we're not going to include the whole Billy Zane Q and A panel in this podcast because uh, while it was a um, 50, 60 minute recording, uh, he only spoke about the Phantom for a couple of minutes, which is which was a bit of a shame. And I um, mentioned that in the last podcast uh, at the end of the Billy Zane interview. But um, the it was a shame that more Brisbane people didn't put their hands up uh, to ask questions about the Phantom when they were all pretty happy to clap and cheer every time it was mentioned. But anyway, uh, as I said at the time, um, well done to Chris Hill. And so, Chris, we in this podcast we're going to hear your question, and um, that's it from the Billy Zane panel. And as I said, the rest of that will follow sometime over the Christmas holiday period. Um, we've kept it short because we wanted to include the whole Phantom panel, which was the 40, 45 odd minutes uh, of the, the discussion with the Fru crew, uh, you know, uh, headed by Glenn Ford, but uh, on stage as well were writer Andrew Constant, cover artist Jamie Johnson, uh, cover artist and interior artist Paul Mason, and cover artist Jeremy McPherson. Oh, he's, and Jeremy's starting to produce his own stories as well. So, um, yeah, uh, really good to hear from the Fru crew. The, I am very sorry. I've done the best that I can with the audio that was recorded by me, but uh, it just it, it's not real flash. And um, to get to to listen to the, the combination of me not recording it well, I guess, but also the microphones were used uh, in an ad hoc manner, shall we say. Um, so anyway, it is what it is. Um, you might have to go up and down the volume dial while you're listening to the panel. Um, I hope you enjoy that um, and, and get something from it because it was a really interesting discussion. It's just a shame that the recording was so poor. So uh, anyway, if you do decide you can't get through it and you'd like to skip through the timestamp for the last part of the podcast is going to be in the show notes and so you can um, jump ahead to that if you want to do that and I would understand and forgive you, it's okay. Um, we hear in the last 15 minutes or 10, 15 minutes or so from the uh, from Glenn and Jamie and Paul as they uh, wrap up Supernova and we're all nice enough for me to accost them in their last 20 or 30 minutes of what had been a big three days. So thank you guys. I do appreciate that. And also appreciate uh, the Phantom Fan crew who were my lift and stayed around at Supernova probably a good extra half hour or more um, uh, on that Sunday. So thanks very much. And it was it was just an absolute pleasure to, to see all you guys again. You know who I'm talking to. But um, thank you very much, um, one and all, for uh, helping out there. Anyway, um, that's uh, that's it for the intro. So I've probably well and truly um, used up my two or three minutes. So I'll pass right from here to, uh, to I guess, Chris, who's going to ask Billy Zane a question at the Brisbane Supernova Q&A. <laughs> <laughs> um, great question here from Chris. Hey Billy, how are you? Good mate, how are you going? Uh, good, it's been great to hear from you so far, but I don't know who you're talking about because we've got to talk about the greatest character of all time, which is of course the Phantom. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for bringing it back. Yeah, apparently we've been in other movies, I wouldn't know. <laughs> but are you going to make another one? Because we'd love to see another Phantom movie. Yeah. Well, you know, in a heartbeat is the answer to that, and 
curiously, I think the world has taken a, enough turns where that might be a timely narrative as it's a legacy project, father to son story. And so would you be playing the father now? <laughs> what are you saying? <laughs> well, I'm saying you're the same age as me, <laughs> and my son would be young enough to say that. It's rhetorical. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, uh, I think the fandom is a tonic for the times. It's, uh, you know, I think a reminder of moral compass white hat heroics is something that uh, young boys and girls could use right now, and uh, old boys and girls, all boys and girls could use right now, dog animals, I mean, it, it, it's, it's time, it was time when it came out, some say it was too early, but it was perfect, and I think, you know, perhaps with a little critical mass, and uh, vociferous desire. Um, I believe the Chronicle Chamber podcast is going to throw together some kind of petition. Jump on that. Check those guys out. They do a great job of it. We just did an interview a couple minutes ago. They're really lovely. Um, love to see it happen, and I think it just might. Say that. But it takes, you know, a couple institutions and regime change. And so there's so many influences at play. Um, you know, I imagine what's right will come isn't it part of the DNA it's certainly part of the Australian DNA it's in your fabric my god you built it you produced a generations of blokes you know based upon the phantom all of our volunteers are wearing purple so I don't know what that means I noticed that purple wave all right, greetings everyone, how are we? Great. Uh, well, you know what, you can do better than that. <coughs> so, Ben Sorens is my name, and uh, I'm actually really, really excited to do that. This is my last panel for uh, Supernova this year, and I think uh, it is the best panel to finish on. We're talking about uh, one of the most iconic characters uh, and the best stories around, the, obviously, The Phantom. And we've got uh, Jamie Johnson, uh, Paul Mason, Andrew Constant, and Jeremy McPherson. Round of applause for these guys. And then forward. Publishing editor of The Phantom. Let's do him. Why were you not up there? Because he goes to The Phantom. Sometimes The Phantom. We all want to know, Jeremy. All right. So... Moving on uh, to uh, some of the great things uh, that we all know and love about the, the Phantom. I mean, I think originally the Phantom comics were uh, and still are one of the best uh, ways for people to connect with that story. I mean, we had the, the uh, movies, but I think the comics are really where the story started. Can you tell me uh, initially about your love affair with the Phantom? Individually, I think that's a great place to start. the youngest, though. Um, uh, dad, really? Who here started loving the family because of their dad? Yes, yes. Your dad? Yes. My dad. That's grateful. Money afterwards. No, look, I started because my dad, he threw me, I started reading because um, I had a really bad speech impediment when I was a kid, so I was made to read a lot. And I read a lot of com uh, comics, basically, which really worked out well. Um, and I read a lot of Phantom, and I, I, you don't know when you started reading your first Phantom, you just know that you started reading it, and you kept reading it, and you kept reading it, and it's the most iconic superhero you know, basically. Hmm. I, I, I started reading it as a um, young boy, um, many years ago, and um, uh, they, were, they, were, they were ubiquitous, as they say, they were just everywhere. I remember reading in um, the barbershops where I was waiting for a haircut, <laughs> I mean, the doctor's uh, waiting rooms, they were in the shed, they were just everywhere. So I taught myself to read bio comics, and the Phantom was a comic that I read. It's a pretty universal story, man. Yeah, uh, I, uh, my mother and I were staying with uh, family friends for a while, and, and they had no TV. 
Um, but they had a pile of Phantom comics and a fish tank. So after you stared at the fish tank for a while, you, uh, I found the Phantom comics, and uh, I think that's where the love affair kind of started in that sense. I'm using, I'm stealing your words. Look, it's important to appropriate it. That fish. Jamie? <laughs> uh, yeah, I actually didn't, my father had passed away. I didn't really have much of that kind of way, but my godfather uh, brought me my first Phantom comic on one fateful birthday, and it really just opened up a, a floodgate of uh, an obsession and something that never really went away, and it actually just sparked my love of drawing, and obviously with Glenn being an artist himself, it um, inspired me to kind of follow that path too. So it, um, yeah, opened up a can of worms, but thank you. <laughs> um, basically, when I was in high school, one of my art teachers said that um, the style was kind of phantom-like, so they said I should really sort of concentrate on that sort of style. And then later on, I was going to art lessons at TAFE, and one of the artists there was um, a former fru artist, uh, Peter Chapman, and he got me onto a lot of sort of older comic artists who really had a big influence on me. That's actually really cool. The cool Santa. <laughs> five out of five would answer again. No one likes the fish tank? <laughs> <laughs> Is he the old artist you're talking about? <laughs> <laughs> the fish tank was great, but it just wasn't like, you know, just wasn't Peter Chapman wasn't a fish tank. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, so uh, moving on from the, the love, love affair with, with the Phantom, and now you guys are working on this. Uh, this epic, uh, epic story that you all fall in love with. Uh, how how has that influenced your work? Uh, how's the Phantom influence in your work? Yeah, so I, I think because there's two types of people. I think there's um, when you're a creator or you're working on a, a large franchise or project. There's people who are doing it because they have the skill and they're able to do it. And then there's um, the real amazing people that do it. That really do have a passion for this. And have an interest in it. That understand the you know the law, and they understand the world and universe in which it is. They are true fans right. that also have those skills to to right. move in there. How does that affect uh, how you work on this project? I because um, when I write, it's I'm passionate before I start writing the work. That's the way you come to any comic book work because you're passionate about the work. But once you're involved, you have to become slightly more dispassionate because what you're trying to do is not produce. Like if I wrote the work I want to write about the Phantom, I'd got every page, oh my God, the Phantom. And that would be <laughs> an incredibly boring piece of work. So the initial passion for the work has to be put in the boxes, you're plotting, writing, dialogue, logging there, otherwise you won't be able to produce what I would think is my best work. So it sparks me, it's the impetus to do all the work, like Phantom, the three superheroes were Phantom, Batman, uh, John Constantine were the three guys which got me into comic books basically. So when I write the Phantom, I can't come with that sort of fanish, like one-eyed, singular, subjective viewpoint, which is great when that's how I read all my books, right? But when I'm actually doing the work, I've got to like plot and just be a professional basically. So there's, so there's two Andrews really. Uh, I would think that the two Andrews are Karen's. Current, current Andrew, and when you were younger, were you a Constantine? Okay, <laughs> well played, fun. Um, yeah, I kind of was. Like, um, there's two, well, there is, there's a horror ride and there's a superhero ride with me. Those are the two main mediums I'm working, basically. And it's nice when they intermix. I think um, the Phantom does have um, a slightly, it can be quite mysterious and spooky with the jungle, jungle stories and the fake fables as well. Um, but yeah, there's definitely some, uh, uh, the colors get mixed up, basically. And uh, just a, a quick note on, on writing uh, that thing, that weird, that weird thing, writing fan uh, comics. What, uh, how, how often do you uh, attempt to, especially being a fan, uh, leave those little nuggets in there from mm -hmm. uh, past stories, past lore, past things, mm -hmm. to sort of bring that in? You always have to reference that lore as well. We did it heavily in the first few issues of Kid Fan Phantom. There was lots of references, 
references, not just almost the ability to speak, to the Lord of the Phantom, especially in South character as well. Um, but most of the credit, I think, always goes to the artists in leaving the, um, what you call the Easter eggs. Like, Paul is the master of the Easter egg in our work. He's all, all of the Easter eggs. Who do you read to Kid Phantom? Anyone? Anyone? Cool. You know the Lorikeet, the bird that shows up, the bird? Paul Mason. I don't care, it's a bird. It's a cute bird. Who cares? Cute bird. I said, let's get rid of Paul. I was like, no, I can't get rid um, but yeah, most of the really cool visual reference you see, I'd say 95%, it's all just Paul. Like I'll throw in, like I wrote the Beatles in, in, in there, but it was Paul's idea to do the lorikeet. He did all the Times Square, there's no real notes about how it should look. Um, but yeah, the artists do most of the heavy, heavy lifting on that, definitely. Yeah, what was the first question? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just wanted to ask you about how being a... Uh, Passionate fan of the Phantom effects. Uh, like any, um, any successful licensed character, um, and you've got to look at you know, people like um, you know, Superman, Batman, blah blah, the Shadow, whoever. Um, they all have a, um, a canon that you need to adhere to, and the more you can adhere to that canon and tell their own story within that canon, uh, usually the more successful um, that particular story becomes. And so, um, as whatever I do, edit that one. It's my job to, to keep all of that in mind. Um, and it's quite a task because the, the, the fandom is, um, even if you're uh, a, a pure um, a fandom fan, you only read the, the big forks, the big forks, the, the writer. Um, even within his work, uh, there are many discrepancies, and so you've got to uh, be aware of those and try and you know, avoid it or work around them. So it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a chore, but it's fun. I. Um I was, when I first started comics, I did a self-published book and self-published character as part of my um, uni degree, which floated to kind of my doctoral work. And it was more influenced by the fandom than I thought it was after sort of going back and reading that those stories about a World War II soldier running around in the jungle wearing a mask, you know, all these sort of little elements, a, a legacy between him and his grandson sort of trying to honour his you know, family, blah, blah, blah. All these tropes that came from my childhood love of that particular character. So, you know, fast forward to years now where you get to kind of play in the sandbox, so to speak, and, you know, not only work with Andrew, but also write and draw my own fandom stuff. You, you use that kind of passion to play a little bit of like, oh, what if we, we, t we tweak this element or you know you can go down a rabbit hole of the continuity and you, you find those discrepancies but you figure out what is the the best overarching framework that's going to work for the story that you're trying to tell but still keep the essence of what people like about that particular character you know and i, I feel as though regardless of whether it's you know superman or batman or whatever there is that long-going continuity um and, and elements that are to the work but if you keep to the core essential element of why why people did that character and and make put it in your own interpretation i feel like people will be more forgiving of you within the, the sense of uh the, the the particular nuts and bolts of the overarching story hopefully that makes sense anyway just talking broadly and quickly yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's great that you referenced uh, the Phantom's nuts and bolts. That's the boom shoot here I was waiting for, by the way. I'll <laughs> never let you down. He's the, he's the punter. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Um, get that made on again. So I am in a unique position where I only get to draw one pretty picture every few months and it's actually quite fun that way. So I get to see all the amazing work that these guys put in. Um, we get to kind of inject our own style to it. So Jeremy's obviously a cover artist, Paul, uh, as well as the interior does his covers. And you'll notice that um, throughout the year, how many, how many are you guys publishing at the moment? What's the schedule? 26? Yeah. So out of 26 covers, you're gonna see a, a variety of style. And, and I think that's what we have going for it at the moment. So I'm able to inject what I'm inspired by, the styles I'm inspired by uh, in other genres and comics and bring it into the Phantom, which is the Phantom that I want to see. But then we see someone like Jeremy who has that real classic and a real love for the, the 
artist from yesteryear. Paul's got his, you know, his Kirbyisms and his real energy and everything he injects into it. So we, we kind of see um, the passion, not just for the Phantom, but for comics in general. Um, and we're able to kind of play in that sandpit without really breaking anything because we, you know, kind of read a story, see what kind of speaks to us, and then you know, add our little uh, little flavour to it. So yeah, that's always rule number one of licensed properties as well. Don't break the toys. Mm-hmm. You can't break the toys. I was actually speaking to someone the other day, and they're saying, no, you can't. You can do anything you want, but when you finish with them, the toys have to go back on the shelf, or limbs limb, limb, attached in the same head. Yeah, I think as well in Australia, because the Phantom is such a part of the culture, like I think Phantom is much bigger in Australia than it is in America. Just... Also, yeah, it's, it's, we've got the biggest home. Yeah, and I think um, just the, you know, it's been around since 1948, that continuity, publishing, and a lot of the artists and writers. I think my passion really, I mean, just growing up with it and then now um, corresponding, being mentored by a lot of my favourite artists. Like even I get regular emails from Phil Mang, Antonio, all people like that who often, you know, they you know, treat me as a peer almost, which is amazing. These are the people that I grew up with, even Glenn. So all the people, the artists that I grew up, Cy Barry even, you know, getting messages amazing yeah it's I think yeah. it is it, it's a real inspiration for those all those people because a lot of the people are still around still active and so I think just that whole history is such an important thing and just all the readers you know all the passionate fans just I remember the first supernova we did um, the recent one and there were just lines people it was amazing Did you watch yeah well many of the people are here today this is Jeremy's first panel, by the way, guys. So if anyone wants to snap a photo, feel free. <laughs> Make sure you tag him in it. Yeah, you're doing really well. well. Hashtag theatre. Yeah. Um, just on the cover art there, I think when you've got a property such as The Phantom uh, and we look at um, the evolution or some of the changes within uh, comics generally of, of what's uh, considered a popular or saleable cover art, uh, how do you maintain um, keeping audiences or you know or the saleability of the the front cover and the history of the Phantom together? Because uh, you would have to be very careful of the evolution of uh, the covers over time. I defer to my editor on this one. Right, look, it needs to be mixed up as much as possible. I, I think. Um, um, look, I, I would like to have 26 different covers a year, but I can't do that. I've got a partner to consider and um, a publisher who um, would tear his hair out. Um, and one of the problems is that um, a lot of the guys that we use are um, all over the world. And, um, and we've got a book with our Symphony series, which we have to go to them and sign and come back for people to, to buy. And if they don't get it within three months or so, um, but um, it, it's important to keep it mixed up, I think, just to maintain the interest. I mean, any good cover that is there on a shelf to compete with the other covers. It needs to compete with your, your Marvel and DC. Although, again, it's not a Marvel or DC comic. Um, on, on the surface, that's what it's been sold, sold as it is um, something which needs to, um, when somebody walks into a comic store, um, something which needs to draw their eye so that they don't buy the one next to the one at the other side of it. Um, and there's, uh, I mean, some of some have been successful, some haven't. There's been some big horrible covers that along the way. But, um, I drew a couple of ones. So, sorry about that. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, you, you, you take what you can. Um, we've had a few covers that changed at the last minute because it wasn't what we expected. Um, and we also have the, the problem of running it through King Features, the, the licensing agent who run. The, the, the power of veto on any cover that, that does get done. Um, but by and large, we, we try and have a, a different cover each, each issue. Um, and that's just for the reason of people can compete with us. I think uh, everything you kind of say in cover, cover theory, 
basically boils down to catching the eye first and then hoping that it catches the eye in a good way enough so that the person is enticed enough to pick up the book and, and therefore purchase it. You know, even when you you study the books and you talk to the professionals, um, nobody knows anything. It's all based on what has come before us, you know, and, and it's, it's really an educated guess when it comes to the development of whether you go by an iconic character pose or whether you go by a mysterious mysterious aspect uh, that entices the reader to want to pick up that book or whether it hints at part of the story within the context of the pages itself. So, so you're saying the front covers, uh, the theory on the front cover is the same as my superannuation? Correct. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Past performance does not indicate future. Yeah. Absolutely. Front, the front cover is basically a Tinder profile. <laughs> you can either swipe left or right. Yeah, pretty much. I always get my left and right mixed up, so I go, go on some really weird Tinder dates. <laughs> can I be you the following through, though? Like, yeah. that's really cool. Yeah, yeah. I think it's polite. It's etiquette. Tie the, tie the shoelaces and walk out that door and go, well, I see Shoelaces, yes. slip on. <laughs> Take that how you will. You can press, really. This sounds like a different panel now. Do we want to go to this panel? Yeah, okay. it's fine. It's well, fine. I'm going to blame him anyway. I got, I got, I got confused with Grinder. Oh, okay. No, 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 no. I'm from Melbourne. I just thought that was where baristas and you know coffee roasters got together. Ladies and gentlemen, we have lift off. <laughs> back to cover art. Sorry. Yeah, back to cover art. Yeah. Um, being solely a cover artist, I feel that that is our responsibility to grab that reader. I um, I teach. Uh, young kids between seven and 12, just basic fundamentals of drawing three afternoons a week. And the project I give them is pretend like you have $5 in your pocket and you're going into that news Asia comic shop, whatever, what is gonna entice you to grab that thing off the shelf? Whether yeah. it be the pose, the action, the, the color thing, like, you know, whatever is gonna grab the reader. You are competing with not just um, other comics, but other magazines as well. Movie, film, all that sort of, yeah. oh, sorry, um, yeah, music, all that sort of stuff. So what we need to do is we need to make sure that we're staying true to the character. We're not giving him, you know, guns and ammo and all this like, crazy stuff. And, you know, we're staying true to the design of it um, and staying true to us as an artist. They are hiring us because they, they trust our um, artistic sensibilities. And I mean, we, I, I haven't had any notes yet from King Features, but I'm sure one day they'll say change this, change that. But that's to protect the integrity of the character. Um, so I think when it comes to doing covers, having an artist do one and then give them a break for a little while is the main thing because what appeals, what, what, what Paul was saying was there's a mysterious aspect, there's a pose, there's action, there's things from within the story that might not grab everyone. So this one, this week's one might grab you know one reader because they love the mystery. This one might grab the person because they love yeah. the action. You know what I'm saying? So. Um, yeah. That's that's my thoughts on it. And I also like that you're preparing uh, the kids that you teach art to uh, with five dollars in their pocket. You're preparing them for uh, being on Newstar, which I really <laughs> I think that's really well, disappointment when they figure out the five dollars isn't enough to cover. Yeah, yeah. You, you can buy enough. They can only afford a phantom comic. comic. Yeah. Can, um, buy some, yeah. can I put my phantom comic on after play? I think um, one thing I might add as well, Please. when I first started at the end of the Shepherd years, um, I actually got um, told to come in for a meeting with um, Steve Shepherd, and he told me a, a set of rules that he followed for a cover. So basically, his, his rule was that um, basically the area of interest just below the logo, right. he said there has to be um, some part of the phantom in there. And because basically he's seeing it as that that you were looking at on the shelf, right? Yeah. And so he basically had all these rules. It's like you have to be at least a centimeter away from the edge. All these rules that he, he told me. Did at the you time. find them uh, arbitrary? Or did you think they um, were? Sometimes the rules. Yeah, yeah. So it's, well, I think some of them make a lot of sense because you are seeing that area. Yeah, that makes sense. The cover. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, near the logo. And that logo, he said, that is basically our most important. Okay. Yeah. But some it, of them. it also adheres to the uh, the way that the shelves used to be structured with magazines tucked in. You want to have that first top portion 
which yeah. is most likely to be well, exposed. I usually so cut that's across the logo, so yeah. there's some part of the phantom actually cutting into the logo. So yeah. there you go, take that Steve. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be interested to see the numbers on that. All of those rules. Well, that's that's form. That's so they've actually, actually there's no there's no formula. That's a good way of going, hey, this is what we want to aim for. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I've actually got a data sheet for you on that as well. So yeah. I'll share that. Hard stats. Yeah. Hard stats. Oh, we, we call oh, them oh, yeah. phantom stats. She was Actuary phantom. Have us some questions from you guys, please. The sound of my voice is getting. Someone asked me something, I'm going to be stumped by. Yes. Okay. Thanks for your help up there. <laughs> <laughs> Some, sometimes two eyes is not enough. All right, your question. Hi guys, um, my question is about, I guess, the Phantom Australian connection. Now, um, what do you think specifically, or maybe a few things, aspects maybe, uh, is it about the Australian psyche that goes, I love the Phantom and accepts it so much more? Is it because like in its original Australian syndication, they had replaced things like, you know, Diane being from Sydney instead of being from New York, or, or do you think it's something else? Like, is it that superficial? If I could throw two cents in, um, I think you're, you're partially right. I think the fact that, you know, it's been published in what, since 36, 37, Australian Women's Weekly, being such a prominent position um, in, a, in a time where there wasn't a lot of content and the, I mean the population is quite low but you know still receiving that particular material I think a combination of that plus what you're saying with that particular Australian connection being edited into those stories uh, can often help it's the same with like say you know uh, New Guinea for instance where they recognize the iconography of the jungle and those sorts of aspects and someone being so friendly with the natives uh, inspired a lot of those tribes to paint that material onto their war shields and things like that. So, part, partly that. Sorry, Glenn. No, no, I was going to. The only thing I was going to add is, is because we had a embargo on, on printed material during World War Two, which lasted right up until 1959. Um, we weren't getting a lot of uh, American material coming in, so uh, we were generating a lot of our own stuff. But given that the Phantom was a comic strip and not a comic book, it wasn't part of that particular embargo as well, it was published throughout those magazines, um, and a lot of the heroes that were being generated beyond that were very much in the same vein as the Phantom or a, a Buck Rogers or a Flash Gordon or, or a Lone Ranger, which were the known commodities to um, a lot of people consuming that material. So by and large, in essence, they were advertising for the Phantom. It's the same as back in the old days, the kids won't remember, but we had these things called video stores, right? We used to walk around the shelves and find videos. Literally and blockbusters, everywhere. Correct, correct. And yeah. you would have like uh, like VHS and DVDs, movies, that were knockoffs of popular blockbusters in the hopes that you would be stupid enough to pick up that cover and go, all right, um, Transformers, that's great. I can't. I, look I really love Transformers. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Right next, ne ne next to Heat Dude in the market. Yeah, Robert that's right. That's right. So, so in in essence, they're actually helping to sell what what is the real product anyway. So I, I feel like a combination of all those things plus what you said, and the fact that it, he was, uh, you know, I think aspects of that larrikinism really sing ring true in that character. Like, I mean, he's not laughing and joking in skull and right. ears and stuff like that, but he has a dry wit. He's, he's not a guy that sort of uh, is broody about the fact that his parents are dead, so he's going to dress up like a bat and punch and stuff. I'm just saying, I'm just, uh, in general, oh, you know, so oh, anyway. Cover up my shirt, sorry. Yeah, no, it's all good. No, I'm just saying, like, <laughs> you know, uh, that it's it, the concept is there that he he is uh, he's trying to fight for injustice, but at the same time he, he can have a laugh and a joke about it, and he lives in a tropical paradise, which is very much similar to where, where we are and what we do. So I yeah. feel like that's a long-winded response. I think that's also as well. There's that indefinable quality as well. Some things just attach themselves to certain geographical groups, like some music works well overseas. The French like Jerry Lewis, God knows why. So, but I like to think Australians just have good taste, really. Yeah. And, and
and I mean, when it comes to the psyche, it's also, for a character that's been around for so long, all of these connections that we wouldn't have known when we were little, like I wouldn't have known the Sydney connection and all those sorts of things, but I grew up here seeing, you know, um, stores appropriate, like the ghost who hops, like, you know, the, yeah. was it comics, etc. or something, was had the, the phantom kangaroo and the sort of koala, like, but it was just so in the psyche that, you know, I grew up around that, that I was like, okay, it's phantom character, and when, Glenn inevitably gave me that first comic. I was just like already like, oh, I know this character, and I could relate. You know, we've lost you. We've lost you in the back. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just I'm just trying to bite my tongue. I've just got so many things happening in my head at the same time. The point about it being um, um, a result of the uh, Australian embargo is important because um, American comics um, they were a big thing there for a while. They remember that. Issues like um, uh, Captain Marvel, for example, used to sell in the millions during the war, like big numbers. Um, during that, there was no TV, there was radio, there was comics, and that is. Um, but because um, because we couldn't get American comics, because American comics were essentially a, um, a part of or an extension of the, the American pop culture, um, our Australian comic or pop culture didn't extend in the same way the Americans did. So we had the Phantom, who, um, uh, for whatever reason, didn't really change a lot uh, in those times, um, pick up a, a, a lot of readers, and those readers are the ones that stuck with us for the years and still around now, for most of them are. Perhaps it's also something else is how incredibly loyal Phantom readers have always been. They don't hop around and read the Phantom. That's, like most of the Phantom readers here, you guys just read the Phantom, right? Like that's your bread and butter, it's the Phantom you have every month. It's that loyalty, I think, which is, that um, maybe I think um, the aspect of luck in a way like they were lucky they had such a supply of stories yeah. initially from um, the American one and then I believe um, someone was over at the Frankfurt book fair and they found the Semic stories and they, they started to license yeah. them there yeah you know what so yeah yeah <laughs> so it's kind of been those stages of luck the initial he was sending We're looking down some old friends. <laughs> <laughs> but the other, the other point that you make too in regards to, uh, you know, the embargo and, and yeah, the, the, yeah. that sort of thing, um, you know, when you look back at, at how our comic books were produced, and this is by and large the way that a lot of comic books are still being produced today in our sort of fledgling, still limping along industry um, outside of like through publications. You, you have a, a people that are not adopting the New York shop system, no. which in comics was the way that modern American comics are made is you've got a team of people producing those books on a monthly basis. You know, one person writes, one person pencils. Yeah, and back in, back in the day, like in, in the golden age, which is like that wartime era, you may have had even more people working on it. One person would be penciling a story, you may have multiple people in that office inking. Like exactly. Yeah. Whereas uh, you know the, the equivalent comics that were being produced during the embargo over here were still being written and created by like one person. Usually, Peter Chapman, or you know uh, I could go on John Dixon, um, those sorts of guys. So once you know once that sort of embargo opened and literal floodgate of, of comics material came through. One person can't compete with it. And the effect of the separating the comic readers from Australian publishers. So I'm sure um, sorry. the conversation you're having is very interesting. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> not really. Do you want to use the mic so we can all yeah. enjoy it? Oh, look, I'll, I'll just, just add putting it out there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Use the mic. Okay. All I was going to say was in relation to this um, New Guinea thing, which is quite interesting. They um, huge New Guinea. They uh, in fact used to phone up all the Reserves, or the the, um, the um, what do they call them? The um, what's like that? The news agents. Oh, uh, the returns. That's what I meant. Returns. Three words. And um, a charity organisation used to buy them all, put them in a plane, fly them across the highlands, just push them out. Tribes on either side of the hill used to come up and like propaganda. Oh, wow. Um, you must worship our purple god. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Speaking of your purple god. No, we're not. <laughs> Like, this is an all ages all ages. Sometimes 720 different dialects. This, this lovely lady at the back has a question. Thank God. Thank you. <laughs> well, you don't want to hear mine? No. 
no. <laughs> <laughs> no you're good, Ben. You saved it. All right. Thank you so much. Okay, fair enough. There's some more comments about um, how people get exposed to things. This whole generation of kids from the 60s that with the RNA, the Royal Exhibition, and the Central Bank, there's right. always been things with comments yeah. that yeah. Absolutely. And that's how. Oh, that's right. Right. Yeah, the high, high distribution point. Yeah. yeah, it was readily available. Mm. Yeah. And, and the Phantom himself, he fights for the underdog, and Aussies love an underdog, you know. But that's sample bag. Yeah, that too, and the sample bag. <laughs> um, but, but also, it, it was accessible. Not only was it um, widely, you know, distributed, but I mean, as a kid, I know I only had a buck fifty, and that was enough to buy a Phantom comic. I couldn't buy a Marvel or a DC because I couldn't afford it. You know, it was always just there and accessible. And I don't know if it was because of the black and white printing or whatever, but the costs were always so affordable and yes. it was generation that's all i heard from before we got a pie and a drink and a phantom comic and we so, nice. so we've got ubiquity low cost availability it sounds like drug dealing really doesn't it <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for that i think that you talk about a loyal fan base yeah, yeah. do you think good. do you think the uh do you think part of the loyalty is inspired by the people who no, the people who are inspired by the Phantom story because the Phantom always goes for the underdog. The Phantom mm. has a lot of these values mm. that uh, people that we would now see as low income earners would be uh, drawn to for inspiration to better their own world, to have hope. I'm not sure this. I, I wouldn't draw a correlation between social just accessible and across the board. I would, so I would, from yeah, I yeah, but you know what I mean. More, yeah, yeah, it is accessible yeah. to more people. I would say accessibility is important, but I don't think of it as socio-economic. I think it is a universal appeal, yeah. uh, which goes beyond uh, class politics. I would say, personally. Yeah, which is like the biggest, other biggest superhero. I could relate to that. Yeah. Batman and the Phantom are two biggest superheroes in the world, and that's because you know, we can all relate to them. That's really cool. Although Batman is a billionaire, I'm sorry. Well, I was going to say that's a superpower. It's Everyone like forgets that the Phantom has a treasure room. Yeah. <laughs> and he's also a king of the jungle, and he has unlimited resources, and he knows everyone, and there's really cool plane. He has four to five hundred years of network. And he speaks He speaks Tom Tom. And he also has command of an army, so you know, he's, he's yeah. pretty. He's, Pretty, you know, sorted. Although one inconsistency that I found when I, I mean I've read a few Phantom well, comics okay. uh, is it's a tropical jungle climate, incredible humidity. The suit. No, no, it's the suit. Yeah. How I don't see any mention of chafing anywhere. It's airy. Okay. It's four or five. Now, I know that's a star research. sign, but. Years of I like to think it's the same material as what a what a, uh, a traditional gi is made out of, uh, like for karate or taekwondo. Oh yeah. Those training suits are designed to be rugged, tough, and uh, somewhat breathable in that sense. So. What are you shocking about that? Not my panel. <laughs> 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 All right. Um, I think my challenge for Phantom was yeah. the daily strip in the paper. That's a good call, actually. What's the difference between the lower key and the other key? One's a bit chewier than the other. <laughs> oh, that's good. It's a good question. I think the, the one thing we haven't covered is what is your favourite phantom story? Oh, yeah, good call. The one which I wrote. No. Yeah, we, uh, was it Jeremy? Let's go. Jeremy, so sorry, man. Go in. No, no. Oh, so favourite phantom story? Yeah. I like some of my favourite ones would be the um, the Lee Thorpe, probably the early like Skyband, very early ones, and also very much the Phil Mansbury nineties ones. I think um, sort of the Parrot and those ones around there. Those because those were sort of the ones where I started reading. So that's kind of the image for me. And um, probably also 
the side barrier, sort of the 1960s, especially the Sundays, that were beautiful. So all of them. Yeah, <laughs> like me, I sit there going, I love oh, right. this one and that one. And that yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I dig that. There's, there's a different answer for depending on the audience. The red blooded male in me likes Mermaids, Mermaids and Zero Straits. His, his pin up women are just incredible bombshells. Uh, but, objectification aside, um, I think like how the Phantom saved the Earth um, and possibly the monster of Vandal, both for the art style but also for the message that. Um, he's being tested uh, as the best of what we've got, and you know that he shows just through his goodness and uh, and sheer will and determination that he can overcome any obstacle. And, and it's just a metaphor for kind of the character and, and how he's portrayed over the, the eighty-seven years. So. Um, I'm probably close to what, what Jeremy was saying. Is there's a, a lot of different stories across the years that I like. Uh, Sometimes it comes down to what I'm currently researching for a story or a plot point or something like that. So, you know, even like uh, at the moment, I can think off the top of my head, like Wilson McCoy, uh, like Mars Marvel. Uh, you know, I, I have I like there's certain uh, certain stories where there was a lot of gang motifs. I kind of dig the weird and crazy gangs he comes up against. So like Goggle Eye Pirates or the Swamp Men. Or, you know, the frogmen, you know, those sorts of things. Um, uh, the, the father and son story, that Sticks and Stone, uh, whatever his name is, uh, Sticks and Son, I think. I'm going to get confused with Marvel. But yeah, uh, but I, I I do dig the, the, the Barry era, so like the bad yeah. ones. T, like all those, like, yeah, those sorts of things are kind of cool, but uh, um, the way that I basically approach my own stuff is is thinking, what would I like to read, and then I write it. Um, and that's when you favorite story. That's when you, yeah. <laughs> so it's a bit, of, a bit of a mixture of all three. Yeah. I, I, I love the, um, the Glenn story, uh, Sydney Queen Street and Big Laurie and, and um, Ronald McCall and all those. Um, oh, yeah. Mount the Isaac. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Which was with the Phantom. Yeah. Mm. And his art style, that's why I think we're in the there, that it's just this like cinematic noir, like, yeah, incredible. Yeah. Oh, me, okay. Uh, I like the Sky Band. Yeah. I just like the Sky Band. I like the Baroness. I like uh, Sala. I like, I like um, the art. Story. I like the fact that Billy captured the real en energy of that story as well, which I quite like. Um, having said that, though, you can draw a lot from most fandom stories. Like, there's not a formula, but there's a style and there's a pattern motif, and it's very easy for most of the stories you set them into a rhythm with them as well. And um, yeah, the, the most, but yeah, that's where I jumped in on. So it's like your first Batman story, just. I like the aspect of that story, the Skyband, where he he realizes there's a point where he doesn't have to fight. Yeah. In order to get out of, uh, out of a problem, he just yeah. lets the other people kind of uh, plot against each other. Yeah, absolutely. All right, our next question. Um, what's your favourite comic other than The Phantom? <laughs> Haven't you come to the right place? <laughs> um, oh, look, I grew up loving Batman, Batman Rules. Um, Batman, I sound like I'm twirling in this grave. Um, I love Batman, I love John Constantine, Hellblazer. I also like The Demon, which I read for DDC, Shameless Plug number one. And, one. Uh, one. <laughs> yeah, one. Let's just call it one. And also, I, I love, I, there's so many characters who I love, but I'd have to be, it's always a fight off between Batman, the Phantom, and uh, a few other DC characters. Pass. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, 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 I read, I read. So, so, I read. I've <laughs> um, not, not been into the, uh, the superheroes a lot, but um, I, I haven't seen uh, the main one. Henry Constantine. Yeah, I like Constantine. Yeah. Well, I've seen him. Sam Hill's great. Yeah, Sam Hill's great. It's a tough question. It depends on what week it is. Um, <laughs> I grew up with the fan, but I also grew up reading a lot of Spider-Man. So I've got a stack of Spider-Man. And it kind of, I kind of stayed at the street level. So my characters were like Punisher, Daredevil, 
know, sort of staying around the, um, those sorts of level of power. So as cosmic as I get, it's probably Fantastic Four, but that was Jack Kirby's run and Jack Kirby's run only. So <laughs> this is, you know, any, anything Jack Kirby, or uh, lately it's Alex Toff, or um, now it's, it's a lot of, um, you know, stuff that you can't read yet, like Carthenis. <laughs> Um, Gorod Parlov. Unless I, I you can actually read that now. You can read it. Just don't show it. Read it. You shouldn't read it. No, you shouldn't read it. This is not actually no, big, um, uh, big, big Fury fan or, or um, Garth Ennis' take on, on yeah. War was you know, part of the inspiration. War stories by Garth Ennis' yeah. series. Or, or Joe Kubert. So those sorts of guys. Toth, Kubert, Kirby, Eisner. You still can't go wrong with that's all right. You'll, you'll look it up one day. And you'll get appreciation. Um, I'm pretty pretty simple, like Andrew. He's a pretty simple guy. Um, Batman is true. So when I was little, Phantom got introduced to me later on, um, but Phantom was definitely always kind of there. But Batman, Ninja Turtles, and Spider Man, but Ditko Spider Man. That's the ones that my dad had the little mobiles and things. Um, I think it's just what you're exposed to. It's more of a nostalgia and, you know, you can go down the rabbit hole, some things I did, some things I didn't. I, I prefer to stay in the classic Spider-Man, like the Ditko, maybe a bit of um, John Romita. Uh, and then, yeah, Batman, I'm a huge Jim Lee fan, obviously. Um, so anything that he kind of does, um, Batman Hush is probably my favorite run on that. Uh, old Ray Fogel and list goes on and on. Uh, and Ninja Turtles, which I am doing an issue 100 cup for next month. Little plug number two. Yeah. <laughs> um, some of my other favourite characters. Um, I really like Flash Gordon, especially the Alex Raymond. I've actually been able to do a few Flash Gordon things for some American publications. So I also like Silver Star, who's kind of like the Australian version of Flash Gordon. And also a lot of Peter Chapman's old stuff. Um, the Shadow, Phantom Ranger, the Shadow especially, I really enjoy. Silver Star was a, originally an Aussie digger soldier that gives his stuff up and becomes a, a space hero. I always dug that because that was where my first sort of stuff was from. Yeah, uh, actually, uh, out of interest, um, I've met the family of the artist, um, the oh. Pitt family, and I have the first episode, quite a large original, but yeah, I also yeah. have a few unpublished the original ones from when he was a soldier, so. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I'd love to see those one day. Yeah. All right, our final question. It's not really a question, it's just uh, trying to save Andrew's marriage. Um, I'm sure one of his favorite comics is Wonder Woman. <laughs> no, I don't like it. She's not good. I don't like it at all, that's fine. <laughs> all right, well, that's about all the time we have. Uh, huge round of applause for our fantastic team. So, uh, Alright, well, that's the final panel for uh, Supernova in Brisbane. Thanks so much for joining me. Ben Sorensen's my name, and we'll see you next time. Thank you, guys. Thank you for coming along. Thank you, Ben. Photo opportunities. Okay, so standing here with Glenn Ford, who's uh, been at the uh, Brisbane Supernova all weekend. We're we're getting towards the end of Sunday. Um, how's how's your three days been, Ben? It's been wonderful. It's been a good convention. Thanks to, to Daniel and all the all the team. It's um it's been really good fun just to connect up with all the, 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 the Brisbane fans again. So it's been. Uh, this is the first Brisbane Supernova you've been to for a while. I've been, well, I, I've been to another. There was Comic Con a couple of weeks ago. I went to that, and I think I've been to a Supernova a couple of years ago. Okay, yeah. right, cool. And um, obviously, Billy Zane being here has been a big draw card for a lot of fans. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, Bradley's come up from Melbourne and whatever. So fans have come from the hardcore fans, I guess, have come from all over Australia to be here. Yeah. Have you have you noticed that there's a, a bigger phantom presence here? Oh yeah, yeah, huge. What's that looked like for you? Uh, well, look, it's not as big as Sydney, but we have two stores in Sydney, three stores now. Yeah. Um, but we had a similar crowd lining up. Saturday morning is what we had in Sydney, so they were certainly here. Yep, yep, I, and I certainly feel like there's been a lot more Phantom T-shirts hanging around. Yeah, a bit of cosplayers going through. Yep. So, yep, yep. And, and I mean, Billy, Billy Zane himself was a, a lovely gentleman and very accommodating, um, and understands, I think, the nature of how popular the Phantom is here. Yep. Did you get a chance to catch up with him yourself? Oh, very briefly. Yep. Um, I think he's on on his way home. He's a bit tired, but he was very very gracious. Yep. And uh, come over and answered a few questions for us. Yep. Yep. 
Cool, cool, cool. All right, so um, you, Jermaine will be keen to know, are you going to Perth next year? <laughs> um, look, we may be doing a deal with Jermaine where we can get some of our stuff sent over and he can sell it for us. Okay. But we'll talk about that. And, uh, and Stephen wants to know, can you come into Melbourne? Probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We have to get to Melbourne because it's, um, well, it's next to Brisbane, it's our next bigger space. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. All right, well, thanks very much for your time. Okay. Um, enjoy the, the trip home and... Um, yeah, thanks for coming to Brisbane. Thanks, Dan. Cheers, mate. See you. Continuing the wrap-up, I'm here now with Jamie Johnson, um, the hardest-working man at Supernova this weekend, I think, mate. Every time I've come past your booth, you're busy talking. <laughs> uh, you came uh, at every inopportune moment, but uh, I appreciate you hanging in there, mate. No, but in all seriousness, you do seem to be run off your feet this weekend. It was The response was amazing. Uh, Sydney's awesome, obviously, uh, being the home of Fru, but... Uh, being a guest up here, it, it really, uh, the fans come out in force and it, it really just shows Supernova that there's a, a big, obviously, uh, phantom presence. Billy Zane in the house, that's, yeah. the buzz has been huge all weekend and uh, having my fellow stable mates with uh, Paul Mason, Andrew Constant and uh, Glenn Ford and a little appearance by Jeremy McPherson today was, was unreal too. Yeah, so. yeah, for sure. Now, I can't, um, I've got to ask you about Billy Zane actually coming to the table. <laughs> tell, tell me a little bit about that because uh, he's only gone, as far as I know, he's only gone to one artist's table. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I had done a commission for uh, a gentleman down in Adelaide and uh, it was to Billy's likeness and he'd shown the art and he said, oh, great, checked it out. And uh, so when he when he came here, he was, you know, uh, a few people had told him about my stuff and yeah, he said he had a number of your pieces that he signed yeah yeah so I'd, I'd done some sketch covers for people and he, they brought it to get signed and and they were kind of talking it up which is lovely and uh yeah I, I happened to run into him in the green room for for lunch um and uh, he said he'd come check out the table and i didn't i wasn't really sure i didn't get my hopes up but sure enough true to his word the phantom came and uh paid me a visit and Unreal. unfortunately none of my stable mates were here so i had him all to myself <laughs> uh but i uh, i relished that moment it, yeah. was, it was it was amazing so yeah, yeah i sure. had a couple of photos he signed some stuff he looked at some of my art and it's very complimentary and something was very special so yeah yeah absolutely oh that's awesome and uh it's you, you've got your Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle stuff on the wall as well. We've got to mention that one. You've got the cover coming out soon. Yeah, issue um, one hundred. Yeah, you've, you've had a bit of love for the the turtles this weekend as well. Yeah, it's great. It's been a it's been a even split. Obviously, today the Phantom was out in force because yeah. we had the panel. Uh, I had my demo, and we just had a, a um, you know the great community that always support us throughout the thing, uh, throughout every convention, and obviously throughout the year when our covers come out. Yep. Um, but yeah, it, it, look, it's been it's been great. Obviously, Phantom's still you know my stable, but yeah. it's nice to play in a different sandbox every now and yeah, then as sure. well. All right, well, I'll let you go, mate. I know we're we're getting really close to the end. There. Did you get all your commissions done? No comment. <laughs> I, I see a half finished Wolverine on the on the on the table there. So yeah. um, I'll let you get back to it. Thank Good you on you, so mate. Much, Thanks very mate. much. Great to see you again. All right, cheers. Cheers, brother. All right, uh, the farewell tour of Brisbane Supernova continues. I'm now with Paul Mason. Bradley Peach is over there making faces at us. <laughs> um, Paul, you, you're still, we're, we're, what, 20 minutes away from uh, Supernova closing and you're, you're still working on commissions. It's not, uh, it's not unusual that I've, uh, I get interrupted during the day and then, um, over, un like, underestimate how much time that I have left and then I'm uh, racing the clock. Yep. towards the end so usually the second half of Sunday is me constantly looking at the watch going okay now I've got less time to do this yep. and that, and that. so and this is a yeah. Thor Kermit by the looks yes uh, <laughs> the, uh, it's a follow up to the Thor Phantom uh, oh cool uh, oh not uh, the Kermit the Kermit uh, Phantom yeah my brain's not working anymore nah. it's two and a, three days of a con yeah I'm uh, tapped out yeah for yeah. sure alright um, you have been absolutely busy every time I've come past the table you're talking to people they're People are buying comics off you, the, whether it's the sketchbook or the Kid Phantoms. The the Phantom goes to Nam. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so goes to Nam. I'm looking at goes to war. It's all right. I'm with, I <laughs> hear exactly what you're talking about. It's all good, man. No, thank you very much. It's 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 been very nice. I, I had to be honest. I had a tough week. Um, I should learn by now not to read comments and letters pages, but you know you're always going to get a couple of. Uh, Look, I'm not going to say anything that you're going to have to censor later yeah, okay. on, but, you know, it's very frustrating when you see the, 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 the thick-headedness of some people that don't understand that comics don't have to be for everybody. They, they are for everybody in a sense of 
there needs to be a range to reach different people. Yeah. And for those that act with what I would consider a, a simply an opinion without... Well, an opinion is that. It, it, it's a thought without any sort of basis of facts or figures or, or, or even uh, uh, knowledge on a, to- on a topic. You know, what, what do they say? Uh, familiarity breeds contempt. Yes, yeah. So, you know, just reading some of the comments can be very, very frustrating for someone like me who... Now, this work puts food on my table yeah, yeah. and I'm not doing things arbitrarily I'm, yeah. I'm trying to think it's it's the same equivalent of well you don't sit down and watch Saturday morning cartoons with kids yep. you know this is conversations that we've had before so yeah. I don't want to bore the listeners suffice to say that you know I, I take out a lot of my you can see the red knuckle on the, the, the damage of uh, yeah. boxing gloves that I've destroyed during the week uh, while uh, training um, suffice to say that it's been a very rewarding weekend of uh, young girls and boys coming over to the table and being genuinely excited to get the next issues that's of the stories uh, and that's 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 lovely that's yep. that's yeah. I, I won't say that's what I do it for because as I've established, you yeah, know, I've, yeah. I've, 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 it's, a, it's a job as yeah. well as a passion. Yeah. Um, but that's really rewarding when, in essence, you're putting a, a piece of your soul onto a book. Yeah. And, and it's very, uh, when people are very dismissive of it, I, I can take it to heart. Yeah. Well, well, I'm, I'm glad to hear that this weekend's been something of a tonic for, for um, that poor week leading up. And um, what do they say? Don't read the comments. So I think that's... Uh, I never read the comments in the podcast, mate. It's, uh... <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all good. Sometimes you just stumble across it. I think they people forget yeah. in this day and age that there are human beings... Yeah. Uh, on both sides and it's easy to sit at a keyboard a thousand miles away or write a quick letter in and shoot it off and dismiss something that you know people put in a lot of work and effort for and we're all learning you know some days I look back at the work uh, at some of the early issues and I go maybe that guy has a point you know what I mean but I I do I do do my best Uh, I'm I'm buried in literally uh, four or five different Phantom stories currently at the moment Um, some are for the older fans, some are for the younger fans, um, some are, uh, are playing with some of the lore and the continuity, so um, I'm excited for the work myself, and I'm excited for people to, to, to uh, read it and hopefully enjoy it on the same level as yeah. I do. So. And some of that stuff's, uh, there's some sneak peeks of some of that stuff in your sketchbook, which um, uh, looks fantastic, I'm really looking forward oh, to seeing that, that stuff come out. Um, I'd encourage anybody who um, couldn't get to the con to what, hit you up on uh, social media and see if they can get a copy of that sketchbook. Yeah, I'm looking at uh, once I, I, I have a week off, uh, well, a, a couple of days off where I'm away from the office and then I'm back at uni's teaching a, a comics course uh, intensive uh, for the summer semester mm-hmm. at uni. I'll be uh, hitting deadlines on the way, so I'll be quite busy, but... Uh, my next agenda is the online store. So, oh, nice. So whatever I've got left over in sketchbooks, and I do have a couple put away from people who have touched base previously, um, I'll put that up um, on the website and I'll do a little post online and um, hopefully people will see Well, make sure you let us know when that web store goes live and we'll um, we'll push it for you as well because oh, thank um, you very much. we really love what you do and uh, love to see more of it. Look, I really appreciate the support you guys show. It, it is... Uh, it's very... Um, it's good for the soul, essentially. Yeah, cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think well, I'm an emotional sponge some days <laughs> and I, I have to kind of not let it bother me so much and usually what I do is I funnel it into either my own training or I funnel it into the work yeah. because the work's the only thing I can change sometimes you just can't change opinion yeah 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 so. well you, you're very creative and you've just given us a new logo for chroniclechamber.com good for the soul <laughs> <laughs> good on you mate absolutely thanks very much thank you Dan Cheers. appreciate it thanks mate no worries man. always a pleasure All right, so that wraps it up for, um, I guess, Adelaide and Brisbane Supernova and indeed the Supernova season in Australia um, for 2019. Hope you enjoyed that. I hope you were able to take something out of it. I do apologise again for the, the quality of the um, the recording in the Phantom panel. Um, it's just one of those things when, you, when you're trying to record at a convention, front row seats and... Uh, it sounded okay in the room, but it didn't sound so good on the recording. So I apologise for that. I hope you were able to make your way through it. And if not, I hope that the, um, that the what do you call them, the chapter notes, the, the, the timestamps, I hope the timestamps helped you out um, in skipping ahead to whatever it was you wanted to listen to. Um, uh, it's been a, a, a couple of big 
or busy two weeks. It's a crazy, interesting two weeks since uh, since Brisbane Supernova. Hence, I guess how long it's taken this to come out. Um, also, I guess we wanted to give the Billy Zane podcast some time on it and space on its own. I hope you have enjoyed that or have enjoyed that many times and have told your friends about it and all the rest of it. Um, uh, the petition is going really well, so I'll put a link to that in the show notes for this one as well. So make sure if you are keen on that Phantom movie, um, I'm hope I would think that by now anyone listening to the podcast has already signed it. But if you have, even if you have signed it, share it again because it can't hurt. Um, at the time of recording, we're well over 600 signatures, and um, I'm hoping that we'll uh, bust through the thousand, and, and then who knows from there uh, anytime soon. Anyway. Um, uh, there are still some more recordings to come from Brisbane, as I said at the start, um, one of which is a, a recording of me and the car trip on the way home. I could, ed- uh, <laughs> If you're interested in listening to me uh, or bits of me uh, ranting and excitedly reflecting on the weekend while I'm driving home, um, that could be a, a podcast idea. But uh, look, hit us up um, in the socials or via chroniclechamber at gmail.com if you would be interested in hearing something like that. Anyway, while we have maybe had a couple of weeks between podcast releases, we have certainly been busy off the podcast, uh, on the website or on the social medias. I do need to say congratulations to Mark Haywood, who won the Hermes Press Jim Aparo book, that uh, competition for that one that Jermaine was running on Facebook. Um, bit of fun there. It was great to see so many people putting up their favourite phantom, image, uh, phantom images. Thank you very much for that, and congratulations again to Mark. Uh, it's only a week, I guess, now until the Patreon summer season prize is drawn, and that's those uh, trading cards that Jermaine's been getting signed from around the world. Um, you, your, your selection from what he's been able to gather. So if you're not a Patreon subscriber already, that's drawn uh, the 1st of December, uh, the, start of, the start of the summer season. Um, so if you are... Um, go to Patreon, you can find out all about that. If you are so inclined, um, you can access that via our website, chroniclechamber.com. There's a link at the top, but there's also on that uh, website all of uh, basically everything we do. Um, the links to, to the Facebook uh, page as well, so you can follow us on the social medias. Uh, as I alluded to, Facebook, we are chroniclechamber.com. Uh, you can search for us that way. We are also curators of the Phantom Collector group, so you can join uh, lots of other Phantom Collectors there. Uh, we're on Twitter, at chronicle underscore tweet, and on Instagram, we are at chronicle chamber. So uh, thanks very much for listening. I hope that uh, if you are enjoying the X-Band podcast, then you are subscribing to us on iTunes and um providing positive feedback there however that looks um, we're also available on spotify and uh, all of your android apps as well so anyway once again guys i hope you enjoyed brisbane i hope you enjoy the other recordings that have come of it and until next time happy phantom this man cannot die the phantom the ghost who walks the phantom enemies beware the phantom's always there but you won't find the phantom Phantom!